Heavenly Father, speak to us now. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. One announcement I do want to make sure now that we are pretty much all here gathered together. Uh, next week, next Sunday, we are not here at the Veterans Post. They have a conference for uh, AMVETS, uh, an auxiliary group. Uh, so we are going to meet at Shell Rock Elementary School. Uh, so pretty much just head over to Shell Rock. You pull in right by the Quick Star. You take that immediate right like everyone does, and that'll just drop you right by the uh, um, middle school. I mean, the elementary school, be looking for our A-frame signs. We'll try and uh, kind of give direction there, but we'll be meeting over in Shell Rock. Well, back in 2003, I had the privilege of helping start a citywide young adult ministry with another pastor and a group of young adults from various churches. We called it Watershed. Uh, Watershed met every Thursday night. We had about 80 to 100 young adults that would gather for worship through teaching and just rock and music. Uh, about 20 different churches would be represented on any given Thursday night. And we saw God just do some really awesome things during those years. And we saw some young adults discover who Jesus was. They learned the gospel for the first time. We saw some young adults who had no connection with church at all reconnect back with a local congregation. That was one of our aims and goals. Uh, we, we sent, uh, I think, about 20 young adults to Africa to work with an orphanage. And the next year followed it up with another six to complete some of the work. Uh, we did projects all over Cedar Rapids itself, and we just saw a lot of good things happen out of this group. However, it wasn't without its challenges. I mean, first of all, we weren't our own church, and that right there created some issues. Uh, plus, we were working with young adults, and they were learning how to adult, and so that would sometimes bring up some issues. I mean, you don't know how messy it is when a boyfriend and girlfriend break up, and they're all in the same friend group. I mean, it's it was rough. And then occasionally, we kind of like Riverwood would have to look for a new Thursday night location. I mean, so we had some challenges and issues. I remember one time our leadership team was meeting, and we were facing a critical issue. I, I wish I could remember the details of it. But what I remember most were some of the emotions and feelings that were going on. I, I remember a couple of people were of one opinion, and a couple others held an opposite opinion, and the rest of us just kind of were stuck in the muddy middle. And the good thing was our group got along fantastically. So there was no like yelling or arguing. We just didn't know what to do and how to go forward. And all of a sudden, one, one of the team members spoke aloud and said, what is our mission? And like that, we had incredible clarity. Our mission was really, really simple. It was to invite young adults from Cedar Rapids to go deeper with Jesus in their spiritual journey. And we did that through worship on Thursday night, biblical teaching, rock and worship, and that was it. And as soon as those words were said, we knew what to do. It was almost like this reset button had just been hit, complete clarity came about, and we knew how to move forward. Every once in a while, we need a spiritual reset. Sometimes we just need something to come in and kind of just push a button and clear things up for us. If you're married... There might have been times in your marriage where you and your spouse just aren't getting along. You're kind of annoying each other. You're just kind of, you know, picking at each other. You're not saying exactly the nicest thing. I know, okay, this is just me and Leanne. I, I can tell by your faces that everyone else is doing great and awesome. But in our marriage, every once in a while, we just need a reset. And it's amazing what a date will do or just getting to sit down on the couch and just have a good, healthy conversation. And suddenly after that, we look at each other like, man, you're my best friend. Like, it's just the reset that we need. 
Or, or sometimes, if things are really stressful at work, you find yourself just dreading going in, just wondering, why do I have this job? And sometimes what you need to do is just go back and remember why you took the job and what skills you bring to it. And sometimes that brings the clarity you need to just get through this season and make it through. Sometimes we just need a spiritual reset. It's a bit like being in a strange city and you're trying to get to a location and suddenly you realize you're lost. What do you do to reset yourself? You pull out a map, whether it be on your phone or the old paper copy, and you figure out where you are and how to get where you need to go. That's what we need sometimes is a reset, a map that helps us to know where it is we're trying to go. That's what we're trying to accomplish through this 21 days of fasting and prayer. We're trying to give you a chance to hit the spiritual reset button, to hand you a map to help remind you where it is that God is calling you to go. Last week, as we kicked off this committed series as part of these 21 days of fasting and prayer, we went to 2 Timothy. We saw Paul writing to the pastor, Timothy, reminding him to be committed to God. The natural gravitation of humanity is to be committed to self. And yet we saw Paul describe what a commitment to self looks like. And it wasn't very pretty. And instead, what we knew is need to be is committed to God. But because there's this natural gravitation towards commitment to self, we need a reset button. We need some sort of map to remind us how to get back to that commitment to God. And that's what we're going to see Paul do today. He's going to remind Timothy, you have a map. You have something that will give you direction. And I think as we study more of Paul's words, we're going to see that that same map extends to us. And that this map can help us in finding that God path to continue to get to where we want to be, to get to Christ's likeness. So if you brought a Bible, open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you do not have a copy, we have paper copies back on the Give and Grow table. Any Sunday, feel free to grab one of those. If you do not own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Take it and use it every single day. If you have a Bible on your phone, feel free to pull that out and use it. If you have a smartphone and don't have a Bible on it, go grab one of the free ones that are out there. That way you always have a Bible with you. Right? If you just don't have anything, I've got it up on the screen uh, for you. Last week, we finished up with verse 13 in 2 Timothy 3. So today we start with verse 14. Paul, writing to Timothy, said, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, this verse right here echoes what Paul did back in verse 10. When we started chapter 3 last week, we saw by verse 2, Paul starts talking about people committed to self. He, he called them lovers of self. And he starts listing off all of these things through all the way through verse 5. And then in verse 6, he starts showing how those who are really committed to self, the destructive path that it ends up taking, you end up being completely opposed to the will of God. And, and so he was warning Timothy, don't be like those who are committed to self. Instead, be committed to God. And we saw in verse 10 that he says to Timothy, you, however, however, don't be like those committed to self. However, be committed to God. Be committed to the gospel. Well, Paul can't help himself. As he's talking, he ends up veering back very slowly in verse 13, talking about those committed to self. He calls them, you know, deceived, being deceived, evil people. 
And so because he just mentioned them, it's like, oh, wait, 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 Timothy. That's right. You're not supposed to be like them. He says another, however, he starts it off, but as for you. And what is it he wants him to do? He says to continue in what you have learned. We saw last week that Paul was saying, commit yourself to my faith, to my teaching. And we saw that it wasn't so much about commit yourself to Paul's teaching. It was really commit yourself to the gospel. And so he's saying here again, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. He's calling him back to the gospel. So often we think of the gospel as this message that God sent Jesus to earth to live a sinless life, to die a sinner's death in our place so that we could have freedom and forgiveness of our sin and therefore be in relationship with God. Great, that is the gospel. However, we often then think, okay, so now that got me my fire insurance. I'm not destined for hell anymore. I'm now destined for heaven. Great, got it. Now what do I need to learn? And yet Paul's saying, no, no, Timothy, you don't mature out of the gospel. You mature through the gospel. You need to continue in it. Remain firmly established in it. You never go beyond the gospel. You go deeper into the gospel. The gospel is what helps you keep that commitment to God. And, and that's what fasting and prayer then does, is it regularly takes us back and reminds us of the gospel, what Jesus did for us, what he sacrificed for us. And so I can sacrifice some food. I can sacrifice some social media. I can sacrifice these various things because Jesus did it for me. And it, the fasting reminds us of the gospel. So Paul is saying, continue in this gospel. But thankfully, God doesn't just have to say to us, all right, you've heard the gospel, you know what, just continue in it. He's given us a map. He's given us a tool that can continually remind us and help us peer deeper into this. And Paul mentions it in verse 15. And how, from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The tool that I'm referring to are these sacred writings. Now, these sacred writings here, this is the Jewish scriptures, what we in our modern day would call the Old Testament. Because the New Testament hasn't been canonized yet. Like, it's being written right now as Paul is writing to Timothy. Now, this is the last letter that Paul ever wrote. And so all of his other letters, that like to some of the churches and stuff, they were being circulated. So maybe some of these sacred writings of the New Testament were, were being read and learned. Uh, we know at least Matthew, Mark, and Luke had been written. The book of Acts has already been written. So maybe these are traveling around as well. But as far as like bringing all of what we know as the New Testament together and making it canon, it wasn't established until like 300 years after this. And so when Paul mentions the sacred writings, he's probably referring to the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, which actually kind of gets me excited. Because notice what he says about the sacred writings. They are able to make you wise for salvation. Now, those of you who are Jesus followers, how are we saved? You'd probably respond, well, through Jesus. Yes. So where do we learn about Jesus? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, you know, like the New Testament. Yes. However, Paul is saying that even the Old Testament in and of itself, these sacred writings are capable of making you wise for salvation. If you were part of Riverwood last year, through almost all of 2017, we looked at how all of the Bible is the story of Jesus. We call this series His Story. 
And we saw that it wasn't just the New Testament that talked about Jesus, but how Jesus is even back in the Old Testament. And we went all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 1, the creation account, and we saw how Jesus was even there. And all through the Old Testament, there were these constant whispers and pointings that a Messiah, God himself, would come to earth, take on human flesh, and go and die in humanity's place, paying for their sin. We saw that the gospel was dripping all over the scriptures, not just the New Testament, even the Old which means that even the Old Testament in and of itself is capable for making you wise in salvation and establishing your faith in Jesus. It is very obvious through these words that Paul has a deep love and appreciation for the Scriptures. In fact, if you were to keep reading on into chapter 4, verse 13, you notice Paul say to Timothy, hey, if you have a chance to come to me, First of all, it's getting to be winter. I'm getting cold. Did you bring my cloak with me? I forgot my winter coat back there. <laughs> then notice what he says. Bring me the books and the parchments. He's basically asking Timothy to bring him the scriptures. Now, now I want you to stop and think about this. We have evidence throughout 2 Timothy that this is the last book that Paul ever wrote. That he's under house arrest in Rome. And at any moment, the Roman soldiers could come and say, all right, it's over. It's done. Let's go. You're going to be executed. And so he knows it's coming. And he's probably an old man by this point. He's, he's got the Old Testament memorized. All of it. Not just the first five books like most Jewish boys. He would know all of it. And now here he is writing the New Testament. If anyone didn't need a Bible, it would be Paul. Because Paul probably had it so embedded into his head and his heart. Why is he asking for the books and the parchments? Because of what he knows the scriptures can do in you and for you. And that's why he begins to describe the scriptures. Verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now, the ESV, which I'm teaching from today, says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. In the Greek, it kind of smashes that phrase together, and it just says that the Scripture is God-breathed. Think about that imagery. Just like God breathed life into humans to, to make them come alive, God breathed the Scriptures into existence, almost making it alive, powerful, active, working. And he breathed it through these human authors. There are 40 different authors of what we know as the Holy Scriptures. And God wrote through them. And, and like a painter, he used these different authors, like different paintbrushes to do different strokes, put different colors. And yet, it's his work. Every once in a while, you'll hear someone refer to the Bible as being a human book. And I'm going to say, they're right. Because it's written by humans, it's actually written in such a way that, um, um, uh, such a way that, I'm sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Um, Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that all the thoughts that are swirling around in my head would be gone. Um, this isn't about me. This isn't about a performance. This is about your people and what you want to do in them. God, your scripture is powerful. And I don't want it to be uh, attractive because I make it sound that way. I want it to be attractive because it is that way. And so, Father, I pray you just uh, work through me. I would just be a conduit. And today we'd walk out of here 
not even remembering Aaron Bird. We'd walk out of here remembering Jesus Christ and, and what your scriptures have accomplished in us. Uh, so, Father, I just ask that you would uh, continue to take over and uh, teach us because we need this today, God. Uh, in Jesus' name I pray and ask for this. Amen. I remembered. Um, I had three points, and I remembered I was skipping over them. Uh, the first one is that the scriptures are written by God, which is what we're getting at with these being uh, written. With the scriptures being a human book, we think of it that way because humans wrote it, and, and it tells us about humanity. And yet, really, it's a God-breathed book. You see, the power of this book doesn't come because it's ancient. Uh, the power of this book doesn't come because it's well-written and, and some really qualified authors contributed into it. The power of this book is because it's God-breathed. It's his book, first and foremost. So yes, when someone tells you it's a human book, you can agree with them. It's just not first a human book. It's his book. And that's why this thing has power. And that's what Paul is trying to get at there in verse uh, 16. The first thing is we see that it is profitable, that the scriptures are profitable. The, the word profitable could also be translated useful. Right? And, and that's nice to know. It, it's useful. It can be applied into life. But to be honest, I kind of like the word profitable. I, I think about a business. What would make a business profitable? Well, that it has a lot, like it made a lot of money, it's got lots of resources, it has so much. Well, guess what? The scriptures are profitable. They have so much, so much to offer you. And what is it profitable for? What is it useful for? Well, Timothy, I mean, uh, Paul tells us four things. First, that it is profitable for teaching, for teaching. So often when we think of teaching, we imagine a classroom setting where everyone's sitting down and chairs are desk facing forward and there's some sort of sage on the stage teaching you the wisdom and, and knowledge. And that's how we think about gleaning it. But so often in a, a classroom type setting, it, it's about math, science, history. And, and honestly, the scripture has some of that stuff. Like you can go and learn some his, history from the scriptures, but it teaches us so much more than just that. It teaches us about Jesus. It teaches us about the gospel. It teaches us about God so that we don't fall into just some mythological thinking about him. We begin to understand who he truly is, that he's this God who's three in one and he's omnipresent and omnipotent and, and all these things. And we learn it from the scriptures. It's profitable for teaching us. I think most of us would agree. However, so often we approach the scriptures wanting to get information some of us, that's just a little bit the way we're wired. We like to learn. We want things to be deep. And so we love the scriptures. We make it, you know, it's profitable for teaching. But Paul doesn't stop there. It's not just for teaching, just to fill our head. He's saying that it's profitable to do so much more than that. That's why the second thing he points out is that it is profitable for reproof. For reproof. Now, some translations translate that rebuke. And, and that's not bad. But what I learned this week is that the Greek word it actually means that reproof, rebuke, means to expose your sin in order to bring correction, to expose your sin. Right now on Twitter is a movement called the Me Too movement. These various women and, and a few men are getting on Twitter and, and other avenues and sharing their story of being sexually assaulted. And often the story is about some powerful man 
whether it be in Hollywood or television or politics or even within the church, who used his place of influence and position to try to gain certain things from this woman sexually. And now the women are telling their story. They had kept it hidden for so long because they were so embarrassed. They thought they would get in trouble, that it would like make life more difficult for them. And now they're beginning to share it. And what's happening is a lot of these guys are starting to lose their jobs. They're losing their influence. They're losing respect. All because their sin is being exposed. That's what the scriptures do to us. They tell our story. They expose us. And they help us see that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That there is no one good. No, not one. That all of us are in need of a savior. It is exposing our sin. But thankfully, it doesn't stop there. The next thing Paul says is that it is profitable for correction. For correction. The, the women who are um, sharing their Me Too stories, they're not just wanting to embarrass these guys and, and see them fall. I mean, that is definitely part of it. But really what they deeply want is to see change. They don't want to see any other, any other woman get abused the same way that they did by this man. They want the man to change in the way he views women, the way he approaches life, to change. And that's what the scriptures do to us. They don't just expose our sin to us. They bring correction. They are like a map that shows us where we need to go so that when we take the wrong turn, it can show us, here's how to get back to the commitment of God. Here's how to apply the gospel. Here's who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus did. And we can get back on the God path and get away from that commitment to self. It's capable to teach us to, to reproof, bring reproof, to expose our sin, but also to correct us, to get us back to where we need to. And then as it gets us back to where we need to, it brings in the last thing. And that is training us in righteousness. Training us in righteousness. And anyone here been uh, part of a, a sports team? Okay, yeah, thank you. I, I'm starting to wonder, like, am I really the only one? No, okay, so oh, quite a few of you. Okay, anyone here ever, like, make it, made a commitment to just really get in shape? All right, so you really got after it. Okay, yeah, okay, a few more hands. All right, so when you did that, you were really engaging in training. You were going to practice. And I, I know I don't look it, but I actually was a wrestler through from, like, third grade until my senior, well, freshman year of college. Okay, freshman year of college, I was really more the wrestling dummy for the 118 pounder. But really, I, I went out for wrestling. Um, and, uh, I, I would go out there. One of the great things about it was I worked hard. I wasn't that good. And it was kind of fun to get to walk out on the mat and skinny little me would walk out there and you could just see the other guy going, ha, this one's gonna be easy. Great. And what would happen is, yeah, he was stronger than me. And so he'd kind of win first period and then second period kind of get even. And by third period, he was gassed and I'd usually come back and win. It was a lot of fun. And do you know why I was able to? Because I put the time and energy and training into the practice. I wasn't that good. And yet, I was just able to outlast them. Training, practice is important. I mean, think about it. So often, we want to be a star in the game. But how do you become a star in the game? You got to practice. You got to train. So many times, we want to like have the answer. You know, someone asks us a spiritual question. We want to be able to just say the Bible verse. But yet, if we're not in the scriptures, we're not going to be able to. So, so often, we want to just live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. And yet, we just want to microwave spiritual maturity. And yet, God is saying, no, it takes training. It takes practice. He wants to train us in righteousness. That's why I encourage you, 
every day, get into this thing. Get into the scriptures. It's not just a book to be used on Sundays. It's a book that can be used on every day that ends in Y. Open it up. Get into it. And don't just get into it and study it. I mean, read it. Get into it and study it. Like, pray through it. You know, if we're going to allow this thing to to bring rebuke and, and, and correction to us, we've got to sometimes not just read the scriptures. We need to let the scriptures read us. This is why every single Sunday and, and in our growth groups throughout the week, we open up the scriptures and we get into it. Because not only is it going to teach us, not only is it going to expose our sin, not only is it going to bring correction to us, it's going to train us, train us in righteousness. Another way to say that is it's going to train us to become more like Jesus. And so if you want to be the type of person who loves like Jesus loved and lives like Jesus lived, get into the scriptures. Study who Jesus was, what he did, and as you read it and learn it, it becomes a part of you. And then when someone asks the question, you can begin to respond. Then when you find yourself in the difficult situation at work, you know what to do. Then when you're having this difficult moment with your kid, you know how to love them and parent them in the moment because you're becoming more and more like Christ. The scripture, it's powerful because it's written by God. It was breathed out and God made it with a purpose. It is powerful. It is profitable to teach us to rebuke us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness. But there's one more thing. This book, these scriptures, these sacred writings, they're also capable of equipping us to play. They are, the scriptures equip us to play. Now, the word play is in quotes because I want to continue with that sports analogy. Imagine you go out for a sports team. You go to practice every single day. You work hard for the hour and a half, two hours in practice, and you do this for weeks, if not months. And then all of a sudden, after like three, four months, coach says, great job, guys. That's the season. Or, or maybe if you hate sports, let's go with a play. Let's say you go out for a musical, a play. You get a role. You learn all your lines. You show up for practice every single day. They build the sets. They get the costumes. They do it all. You come to the dress rehearsal. And as soon as it's done, the director says, that was beautiful, you guys. All right, let's tear it down. We're over. Ridiculous, isn't it? The whole reason you go to the practice, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, for a sport or, or a play, is to do the performance. It's to be what happens on the stage, out on the field, out on the court. That's where it really matters. This isn't about studying the scriptures just so you can get smart, fill your head, and that's it. It's to study these scriptures to change you. It's to change your hands. It's to affect your feet. It's to change your heart. It matters what happens out in life, out on the field. When you head out to play, whether it's at your job, whether it's in your home, whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's in your service club, whether it's engaging in a hobby, that when you get out there, God wants to use you. But in order for him to affect you and use you there, he wants you to spend the time with him. That's why at Riverwood, we encourage you, every day, get into the scriptures, talk to your God, let him continue mold you and shape you into that image of Jesus. So then, not as he does this deep work in you, he can then do this great work through you. That's the scriptures. They're like this spiritual reset button that's a map to remind us how to follow Jesus. It's capable of teaching us, rebuking us, and correcting us, and for training us in righteousness so that we will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
That's what we're trying to do through this 21 days of fasting and prayer. We're, we're trying to give you this reset button. And I want to strongly encourage you to use the scriptures in these days. So often we will exchange one thing that we're fasting from for another that really isn't so good. I one time had someone tell me that uh, if I were to drive by a building that was hosting an, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, that I would see a lot of people standing outside smoking a cigarette, or maybe if they were on break, they'd be out there smoking. And they said that a lot of those smokers, though, before the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, that they weren't smokers. That what happened was they would end up exchanging one addiction, drinking, for another addiction, smoking. Now, I, I don't know how true that is because I've never driven by an AA meeting. Maybe some of you can tell me how true that is. But I, I can say I've at least seen the phenomenon in my own life. Like, there was a time in my life where I drank a lot of Mountain Dew. Like, an embarrassing amount of Mountain Dew. Like, I used to joke that the river of life flowing through heaven was flowing with Mountain Dew. Right, now I know that that's actually the river in hell. Uh, it, it will kill you. But what I did was I exchanged Mountain Dew. Like, hey, this isn't good for me. I, I'm going to give this up. And you know what I started drinking? Mountain Dew Kickstarters. I, I mean, yeah, they have like half the sugar is how I would justify it, but they'd have like double the caffeine and still all the other chemicals in there. Or, or another one I would do is I'd realize I'm spending a lot of time on my phone. Like this game is just kind of taken over. So I would delete the game to save myself some time only to replace it with time on Twitter. So often we just exchange one thing for another that's of equal lacking value. As some of you are in this 21 days of fasting and prayer with us, I'm going to encourage you, don't make an even exchange. In other words, if you're trying to fast from TV, don't exchange it with your phone or your computer. If you're trying to fast from food, don't just go and exchange it like for getting some chores done during that same amount of time. Instead, I'm going to encourage you, exchange it with the scriptures. That, that if normally the first thing you do is you look at your phone and you're saying, yeah, no, during these 21 days, I need less time on my phone. Then when you put your phone, put your Bible. Or, or maybe if you're trying to like fast from social media. If you haven't already, delete the Facebook icon, get rid of the Instagram icon, take Pinterest off there, and where you normally put that button so that out of habit when you go to click on that again, put your Bible app. So that instead of finding Facebook, you find Jesus. Find a way to insert the scriptures. Don't just make the same sort of exchange. Go for something of eternal value. Something that is capable of teaching you, of rebuking you, of correcting you, and of training you to become more like Jesus. That's how effective the scriptures are. And so because I believe these scriptures are so effective, I want to teach you today how to use the scriptures in prayer. Today, we're going to pray through the, the word. Um, originally, I was thinking we'd go to the Psalms because those are just prayers and songs, from, from a lot of them by David. And then I thought, no, maybe we should go to like some of Paul's other letters. Like last week, we went to Ephesians. So I thought, maybe we should go to Ephesians. And then I just sensed the Holy Spirit saying, no, do 2 Timothy 3. You just taught on it. Now pray through it. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to help lead us in prayer by taking us through verses 14 and 15 of 2 Timothy 3. And then, as I kind of come to the end of that, I'm just going to create space for you to pray through 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. 
So it, I'm giving you permission to keep your Bibles open, to keep your phones on. If you don't have one of those, I've got the scripture. It's going to be on the screen for you, and so you can watch that. But we're going to pray, and we're going to let God's word help guide our word. Now, you're going to notice, I'm not going to just read it, right? It's just going to kind of help guide us in prayer. And the reason we're doing this is that maybe if you're fasting like from a meal, that instead of just going and, and doing a chore or going to work or, or doing something else, reading the newspaper, I'm going to encourage you to pull out your Bible and just start praying through it, kind of like we're going to do right now. And if you ever find yourself, you know, you've read through the scriptures and then you're like, all right, God, um, I, I should pray. Uh, I, I pray that I have a good day and uh, help me to make it safely to work in the snow and help me not to get too cold. You know, maybe you could let the scriptures guide you and you'll find your prayers a lot deeper. And so, if you would, pull out your Bibles. If you don't have one, feel free to look at the screen. I know it's going to feel weird to be praying with our eyes open, but guess what? God still hears us. We're going to read and pray through 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 14 and 15. Heavenly Father, as we come to you now in prayer, I thank you for your word. And how it isn't just capable of, of teaching us, of exposing our sin, and correcting us, and, and training us in righteousness. That it is also available to help guide our prayers. And so, I, God, I, I thank you for this moment to allow this powerful scriptures, these sacred writings, to guide our very words to you. Paul, I, I see here Timoth, uh, Paul writing to Timothy that as for you, and God, I just feel like you're writing that to me, you're writing that to each of us. But as for you, you're asking us not to be like those committed to self. You are calling us to something better, to something deeper. You're calling us to a commitment to you. And to be committed to you means that we have this commitment to grow, to grow spiritually. You are not desiring us to just stay where we're at. You say here that you want us to continue, to continue in what we have learned. God, many people in this room have learned the gospel. You've opened our eyes to the beauty and power of it. You've let us see that this isn't just some fable, a myth in the past, that this was a true story in history. There really was this guy named Jesus who lived in Nazareth as a carpenter. He lived a sinless life, and yet he went and died in our place on that cross because only you could take the penalty from us. So God, you're calling us to continue in that, to be firmly established in it, to firmly believe it. God, there was a time in our life where we believed it to be true. And I just pray right now for anyone who's doubting, that you'd help them to remember that this is true. Your love is for them. But God, help us to continue in the gospel. Help us to continue to be firm in our faith in Jesus. God, you say here that part of the way to do that is to be acquainted with the sacred writings. God, I, I'm going to admit, I don't want to just be acquainted with them. I want to have an intimate knowledge of these sacred writings. I want to know your scriptures. And so God, I pray that you just drive up a hunger within me and within my church family for you. And we would want to read the Bible, not out of duty, not out of obligation, not to try and fill our head with knowledge, but to change who we are. If you could take your word that you breathed into place through those 40 authors, and you could breathe it into me, you breathe life into me, and that as I go about life, whether it be in marriage or in parenting or at work or out in the community, that it would then be you I am breathing out to them. And it's your word. It's your scripture. God, I want this to be for all of us. So 
God, help us to continue in the gospel. Give us this deep hunger for the scriptures. Help us to want it, knowing that it makes us wise for salvation. Continue, God, to show us the power and beauty of the gospel, of what you have done for us, of just how grievous our sin was and yet how glorious our salvation is. And as we rejoice in that, it would firm up, it would build up our faith in Christ Jesus. So God, now as we continue to pray through verses 16 and 17, would you hear the prayers of your people?